Praise the name of the Lord. Anybody want to praise Him a little more? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Hallelujah. You know, I think sometimes we get so caught up in living in life that we forgot where all the Lord had had to bring us from. But when you get in this place and you get to looking around at the blessings of God and the mercies of God, you cannot help but praise God. Amen. You cannot be quiet. I have often reminded you and I will do that until the Lord takes me out of here. That all of the words in the Hebrew text that speak of praise, none of them involve motionlessness. None of them involve you not doing something. You're either kneeling or bowing or standing or clapping or shouting or lifting because worship isn't worship until you get your whole being into it. Amen. And so when we come into the presence of the Lord, sometimes it's easy to get entertained by the music or the singing and we absorb rather than give. The first priority is for me to give and then absorb. And when I do it that way, what God has to give back to me far surpasses what I need in my life. Amen. If you have your Bibles, for just a few moments this morning, I will direct your attention to the book of Psalms chapter 5. Psalms chapter 5, and we're going to read one verse, one verse found in verse 7 of Psalms, the fifth chapter. When we get through this morning, we're going to have the privilege of baptizing a couple of folks, so we're excited about that. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I encourage you to be here tonight. I have felt a very special burden for today, not only this service, but tonight's service. And so I encourage you to be here early for prayer, and let's see what God will do. Verse number 7. But as for me, everybody say that with me. But as for me, I will come into thy house. In the multitude of thy mercies, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. But as for me, say it with me one more time, but as for me, I will come into the house of the Lord, or into thy house, as the psalmist said it. I want to use that this morning for just a few moments and talk to you 
about a house of help. Amen. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Most believe that this particular psalm was written by David along with Psalms 3 and Psalms 4. Most also believe that they came at a particular juncture in his history. And what a history David had. If you want to study anybody in Scripture, study the life of David and watch the many ups and downs and all of the things that David went through in his life, the successes and the failures. And you begin to understand why we have an entire book that is called Psalms, and a great majority of those belong to this man, David. He was a man of great experience, and he was a man of great love. And the songs that are written here in this first portion of the book of Psalms uh, deal with this particular segment of his life. And if you read the third and you read the fourth, you will notice that they were songs that were sung or prayers that were prayed at a particular time. Psalm 3 was a morning song. Psalm 4 was an evening song. Psalm 5 was another morning song. There seems to be no doubt that all three of these relate to the time in David's life when Absalom, his son, rebelled against him. There is no doubt that he was under a great deal of pressure during that time of his life. And the stress that was upon him is unimaginable. For a son to have uh, gone about the deceptive work that Absalom had in turning the people against David after all he had done for Israel. And now David is fleeing in embarrassment. And he is leaving Jerusalem uh, to go hide away in the caves and I suppose figure out what to do next. There were no doubt difficult days that he was going through. They were days that were unwanted and days that uh, many were unexpected and yet very much a part of where he was. At this particular point in his life, David had a lot of enemies. And the sad part was he didn't know who all of them were. Some of them were his own closest friends. Ahithophel would betray him. His guiding counselor would turn his back on him. And many others that had been loyal to David in his lifetime, at this particular point in his life, they had turned against him and they had joined forces with Absalom. And so David faced many foes. Many of them were in his own camp. And many of them were his own family. Has anybody had to face an enemy that was in your own family before. 
David not only faced these unknown foes, but he certainly wrestled with a lot of fears. And that is evident when you read the Psalms of the many things that David said. You will note that often he refers to fear in some capacity. Because that was the reality of life. You being pushed out of your known environment, people that you trusted have turned against you, people that you've relied on have betrayed you, and those that you thought you could count on have let you down. And now he is here filled with fear and knowing that there are many dangerous days ahead of him. Today, he would be going forth on this particular day. Most believe it was the third morning of his escape from Jerusalem, or the second morning uh, of his escape from Jerusalem, that he was going to face things today that he, he didn't know what the outcome would be. He didn't even know how it was going to be when he encountered these people The direction that he was going and the place where he was going, he had a lot of enemies there. He had, he, he had destroyed a lot of enemies in the past and some of them had risen back up and he was going directly into that territory. So there was not only the enemy before him, but there were those that were behind him and even those that were perhaps even still among his count. Treacherous, powerful forces that would no doubt try to destroy him. People that he loved had hurt him. Have you ever been hurt by somebody that you love? People he had trusted had betrayed him. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody that you loved and trusted? People had said things, words, piercing words. That's how David had been undone, by the words of Absalom. Absalom sat at the gate. And every time the people would pass by, they, did did you hear? And Absalom swayed a people away from King David by his words. By what he said to them coming and going. Listen to me folks. You want to destroy a church. You let your words be contrary to the words that come from this pulpit. And you'll destroy a church. Not only that. You'll destroy innocent people. And there were innocent people that were sucked in. To this web of deceit. They didn't realize what Absalom was doing. They didn't realize that everything he was saying was was not true. They they didn't seem to comprehend that the suggestions that Absalom were making. Or the inferences that Absalom was making about David might not be true. You know that's the unfortunate tragedy of leadership. Is that many times people don't give you the benefit of the doubt of your history. I want you to listen. I want you to look at me right now and listen to me. They'll listen to some Joe or some 
some Susie that sits on the back pew with a soul. And I'm not talking to anybody that's on the back pew, so don't anybody get nervous. Or they'll listen to somebody that gets on the internet and say, well, you know, I heard Brother Hughes. And in 20 years of my ministry here, you've never known me to do anything like that. And yet people will believe that before they would believe my past history. I'm just using me as an example. It happens to you as well. That's why our words are so powerful and that's why we have to be so careful about our words. But Absalom, Absalom sat by the gate and he undid the kingdom of David by his words, suggestions, insinuations, inferences. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? On the job? In the family, somebody say something that could wipe out 20 years of faithfulness, some lie. You say, Brother Hughes, they can't wipe out 20 years of faithfulness. Tell me they can't. Why is David running for his life? You know what? I'm just talking about preachers today, but there's a lot of preachers that have left churches That it wasn't the will of God for them to leave, but they got so weary of having to fight all of the garbage, the insinuations of people. All I'm asking you to do is just look at my past. Have you ever seen me do that before? Have you ever seen me act like that before? Have you ever known me to do something like that before? If I've never done it before, then don't think I'm going to start today. And I'm going to try to do my best to give you the benefit of that same doubt. I'm not going to just take what somebody said. I mean, somebody can get on the internet or they can say something in the, in, in passing and, 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 and maybe they got a burr under their saddle or they've been rubbed the wrong way and they got up on the wrong side of the bed or their nerves are a little frayed and they make some off the wall comment. And instead of you ignoring that, or instead of me letting that go on, I let it get into my mind and start working. And say, you know what, I noticed that. I noticed that he's not saying it. He just walks right by me in church and never says hello. That's not even in my notes, folks. I'll show you my notes. I don't know why God's talking to me right now about this, but maybe I need to talk a little bit more. I'm not, I'm not trying to beat a bush. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just saying that there's a lot of good people that are hurt every day by words that if people would have just taken a moment and said, you know what? That's really not fair. That's really not going to help. It's not going to be any benefit for me to say that or even pass that Along. Amen. I've had people, and I I don't mean to be this way, but I have people send me stuff on the internet all the time. And uh, it's all this inspirational stuff too. And then it's at the bottom, it puts you on this guilt trip. If you believe this, send this to ten people. If you don't believe it, just delete it. Oh, you know what? It's not that I don't believe it. I just don't send it. And I'm going to tell you why. 
Because I've had people send me things before that the intent of their sending it to me was not what I thought. And when I attach my name to it, then they can go turn and say, Brother Hughes said, Am I meddling this morning? One of the hardest lessons I learned early in my ministry, I was assisting a man. And I was so naive back then, I thought everybody loved God. I thought everybody had the Holy Ghost in the church. I thought everybody was doing right. I thought everybody that sat on the pew wanted the church to succeed. I thought everybody loved their pastor. And that's just the way I operate. I didn't, I didn't go around thinking anything was going on. And one night late, I get a phone call from... Uh, a, a person to come and pray for them. And my first response was, well, did you call? And I named the pastor. And they, well, yeah, we tried, but he wouldn't answer his phone. So we really need you to come pray for us. So, you know what? I'm so naive. I think they really do need prayer. So I get up. My wife and I, we go over and pray for this person. And then when we get through praying, just as we start to leave, it came out. Brother Hughes, I just want you to know I'm real concerned about our church. You are? And immediately, I'm not real smart. (laughs) I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. But that that flag came up and I thought, oh boy. And I need to get out of here. And the more I tried to extricate myself from that place the more that web got tangled up and I finally got out of there and got away and would you believe it wasn't long I got a call from the pastor (laughs) and I had to come in and sit down in the pastor's office and he wanted to know why I had been in agreement with these people in this church that were causing trouble. Ha, 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 ha. And I'm not exaggerating. That's exactly how. I didn't know what to say. And that, that probably made me look even more guilty. But I, it didn't dawn on me in my naivety and in, in my. Innocence, I guess I'm not that innocent, but I was pretty innocent back then. You know, it didn't dawn on me that somebody had an ulterior motive in doing that. And so that's why if you send me something and want me to pass it along, don't be disappointed if I don't pass it along. Not that I don't trust you, but I just learned that even good intentions sometimes are not really good intentions. So Absalom, he, he started working on the people. And folks, I don't know, I'm, I'm not beating at anything this morning. I don't know that any of that kind of trouble going on around here. If it is, I'm ignorant. Sometimes like my wife and I say, we're the last to know. That's right. But believe it or not. But the point is, not only for me, but for you, for your life, to be betrayed by words is... The most difficult thing to deal with. And so David, 
is wrestling with all of this. He's being pushed out. He has been betrayed. He has been hurt deeply. And I'm going to tell you, folks, there is no hurt like family hurt. There are no tears that are more bitter than tears you cry over your family. Things that you don't want to talk about. Things that you don't want to discuss with anybody else. And I know, I know David had to be feeling that. I, I know that those tears that were bubbling out of him at that moment, they, they were from a heart that had been broken and stomped on and crushed and spit at and walked on. And David's trying to figure out where in the world did this come from and why is this happening to me? And so he, he had to do something. And he knew the, the really the only thing to do at times like that is to talk to God. The only thing to really do in times like that is to talk to him about your situation. He wasn't sure of his footing. He didn't know about tomorrow. He didn't know what the next day might hold. And so David prayed. And as David prayed... He became aware of the fact that he was a blessed man. He was a gifted man. He was a man of privilege. And as he prayed, evidently it began to dawn on him that all of his giftings and all of his opportunities and all of his talents and all of his power and position as a king, though the the poetic heart that gave him privilege that others didn't have. The poet sees God in the stream and they see God in the birds and they see God in the trees and the wind and they walk through the forest and they go down the highway and everywhere they turn they see God and God's handiwork and the miracle and David had that gift everywhere he looked he saw God in some form or some fashion but at this point in his life David realized that his giftings and his opportunities could not do for him what he needed at that particular occasion. There was only one place that David could go and find the answers and the help and the healing that he needed. And that was the house of God. You see, folks, there are some things that you're not going to find anywhere else. You're not going to find it in the fellowship of people out there. You're not going to find it when you walk through nature. You're not going to find it when you sit at the mall. You're not going to find it on vacation. You're not going to find it at, at some place of a, a pleasure. You're not going to find it at some resort. You're going to find the answer to the deepest needs of your life in the house of God. And no other place will give you what the house of God affords you. That's why for no other reason you ought to come to the house of God on a regular basis because you will find here things that you will not find anywhere else. 
You can read your Bible every day and you can pray every day. And God will bless you and God will minister to you. But you will find in the house of God things that you will not find anywhere else. And so David came to the house of God. He came to the house of God and there he began to pour out his petition before the Lord. Because he knew that that was really the only place, the only place that he could find what he needed in that time of trouble. I listened to a pastor one time tell about a a lady that had come to his church for financial aid. And she came into his office and she sat down and she began to pour out her story to him and And uh, after she got through with all of the story, and then at the end, she makes this appeal for financial aid. The pastor said, well, let me ask you a few questions. He said, I don't recognize you. Do do you go to church here? Oh, well, no, 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 no. This is not my church. Well, do you go to church anywhere? Uh, well, not, not really. I don't believe in churches. I, I find God in nature and I go out and, and, and I sit in the sun and, and I just absorb and, and, and I go to the park and God talks to me there. He says, well, why didn't you go there to find help? Because even somebody like that knows. That the only place to really get help that you need is in the house of God. And so David, he said in the middle of this psalm, he began to realize all his giftings, all his talent, all that he could do, all that he was privileged to be a part of, could not satisfy for one place And that was the house of God. And that's when in verse 7 he said, But as for me, I will go into thy house. Now, that tells me that David had a choice. David had options. There were alternatives to what he was doing here. He, He didn't have to come. Nobody has to go to church. Nobody is was drugged in here this morning. I don't. I didn't see anybody come in that way. Maybe your kids did, but you didn't. We had options. We had the privilege of choosing. And when David looked at his life, when he looked at where he was at, and when he looked at what he was going through, and when he looked at where he was going. He realized that the best choice that he could make was to get himself, if not in body, at least at that time in spirit. But the words indicate that when I get back from this journey, that's the first place I'm going, the house of God. It was not just a mind trip. It was an intention. But as for me, I will go into the house of the Lord. There's not going to be an absence on my part. Because I have a choice and I realize that the best option for my life right now 
is to, to be in the house of God where you can bring your needs and your hurts and your pain and your suffering and your fears and your future and you can put it before God and you can find help in your time of need. But as for me, I will go into thy house. He said, hands down, God, I know where I'm going and I'm going to your house because that is my best hope. Everybody say that with me. That is my best hope. The house of God. The thought of God's house was a delight to him, not a drudgery. Coming to the hour of worship was not some kind of pressure, but it was a privilege. And how often that reoccurring opportunity would come to him in the future. And he was going to take advantage of every one of them because he found that that was the happiest time of his life when he was in the house of God. David, David the king, David the poet, David that was gifted, David the warrior, David the mighty man realized that all of that could not produce in his life what he needed in the crucial moments of his life. And so he came to the house of God. Hallelujah. Amen. There was something there in the house of God that he could not find anywhere else. Nowhere else. Because even David knew that he had to have that opportunity. So what did David find in the house of God that was so appealing? When David came to the house of God, what was there about the house of God that was so attractive to him? Was it the, 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 the music, the ensemble? Was it the media programs? Was it all the technological things that we use to try to help better our program and our, our opportunity to minister? Was it because they had Sunday school classes for people? No, 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 no. A thousand times no. The first reason and probably one of the most simple reasons that David found peace and help in the house of God was that he found fellowship there. Fellowship there. He found in the sanctuary others that were just like him. He was not alone. You see, if you stay out there long enough, your enemy is going to tell you that you are alone. The enemy will tell you that you don't have any help. The enemy will tell you that everybody's against you. But when you come into this house, when you come in and sit on these pews, or you stand and you worship here in this house, you are brought into a fellowship of fellow laborers and fellow travelers and those who are going through many of the same things that you are. And when you get to the house of God, you realize I'm not alone. I, I, I'm not by myself. 
There are other, look around. There are other people just like me. And I know that they're facing things just like I'm facing. And so it's a wonderful thing when you come into the house of God to realize that I have fellowship. That I have a community of people. The house of God allows me to hear other voices. I remember hearing about uh, in, in Pilgrim's Progress when Bunyan wrote about the journey of Christian to that celestial city. There was one segment in his journey that he went through the valley uh, uh, difficult. And, and when he was in that valley, he felt so alone. It was so dark and depressing. And there was fear that would come and, and just grip his heart and squeeze the life out of him. And in the loneliness of that moment, in the loneliness of that valley, thinking that he was all alone, suddenly he heard the voice of helpful. He heard the voice of another traveler. And the, and the story says that immediately Christian's heart was lifted because he realized, I'm not alone. I'm not by myself. Somebody else. You know why it's important for you to worship? Not just me, but for you to worship because people need to hear your voice. They need to hear your testimony. They need to hear what God has done for you. They need to know that you're still here. You may be battered and beaten up, but listen... I still have a praise in my heart for God. And as long as I have breath in me, I'm going to lift my voice. And I'm going to magnify the Lord. And I'm going to exalt Him. Hallelujah. Folks, I've been in this sanctuary when I've been the only one in here. And it gets pretty boring. I've been in here when there were just a few. And I'll be honest with you, I like the many. It's a whole lot more fun when there's a lot of us. It is. There's a whole lot more enjoyment comes to my soul when I see you. And I know where you have come from. And I know what many of you have gone through. And I know what you're enduring and what you've faced in your family. But to see you come in here and, and to lift your hands and begin to praise God. Brother Bright... I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for your attitude and spirit that you have maintained all the years that I have known this man. Every time he comes into the house of God, he's one of the few sometimes that lifts his hand or says amen or responds. I'm not saying none of us do. I'm just saying that even when nobody else is, Brother Bright, he's got his hand up back there. He's 80-something years old and crippled with arthritis and everything everything else but he gets his hands up and here I am I'm only 50 something years old and I'm I, I mope around and drag you know what God revealed to me the other day you need to quit praying for a miracle and go on a diet you keep praying God to heal you of all these problems you got and the problems are because you won't control your eating Okay, God, by the way, I've lost 17 pounds. So, yes, I'm not up here to brag. I'm just here to tell you 
There's a lot of things that when we come into the house of God, it's important that I lift my voice. It's important that I not just come and sit or stand, but that I join because somebody needs to hear my voice. They need to know I'm not going through this alone. I'm not the only one dealing with these kind. They need to know that if you've got family problems, that when you come here, you can still lift your hand. And you might have marital issues going on, but when you come in here, you lift your hand. You're not being a hypocrite. You're just acknowledging one thing. I've got to have God's help. I've got to have the hand of God. And this is the only place I'm going to get it. I'm not going to get it at work. I'm not going to get it at the psychiatrist's office. I'm not going to get it at the office. I'm not going to get it on a vacation. I'm going to get it when I come into the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God for the fellowship of His people. All the failures and struggles. All the yearnings. I know what you want. You want the same thing I do. You want your family to do right. You want your kids to do right. You want your grandkids to obey you. Love you. But it don't always happen that way. It doesn't always turn out like that. I'm just being real this morning. As much as we try to have a functional family, sometimes it's as dysfunctional as can be. You know where the answer is for that? Right here. Right here. And David knew that. David knew that all that he was going through at that moment, all of the betrayal, all of the lies, all of the insinuations, the only place he could find the help that he needed was in the house of God. And he said, I don't know what anybody else is going to do. You can stay home. You can wallow in your pity. You can act like it's not going to, it's not, it's going to pass or it's no big thing. But he said, I know where I'm going. I'm going to the house of God. I'm going where I know I can find help. I'm going where I know I can find fellowship and I can hear the voice of fellow travelers. I can hear my brother and my sister lifting their voice. And when I hear them, it makes me want to lift my voice. You said, Brother Hughes, I hurt too much. Listen, there's some people sitting on these pews right now. If you knew the hurt that was in their heart, it would embarrass you at you whining about your hurt. If you knew how badly they had been crushed. But when I see them lift their hands, and when I hear them call out on the name of the Lord, I realize that I can do that too. That God can help me in my sorrow. That He can help me in my pain. That He can help me in my trouble. And He can get me through this season of my life that doesn't make sense and is so crazy and absurd. (laughs) Oh God. Thank you for your house. Thank you for your house. Whoo. Hallelujah. But that's not all David found in the house of God. He also found in the house of God that there was a message of the past. You say, Brother Hughes, that's the very reason I don't go to church. Is because of the past. The past things people have said about me. The past things people have done to me. That's what I thought about the church. 
that it's the only place where the past can never be forgotten. Madeline Murray O'Hare was right. Only thing she probably ever said in her life that was right. But she said the thing that confuses me about Christians is that they're the only species that destroy their wounded. But David found encouragement in the house of God because there was a past. But it wasn't his past. There was a past that was represented in that house, but it wasn't his. It was his. And folks, if you don't get anything else I say today, you better get hands on what I'm telling you right now. Because when David, David defines for us in this desire what church should be. It should be a place where we come and we rejoice in the things that God has done. The things that God has already brought us through. The victories that we do have in our life. The things that God has already brought us through. I don't care what you're going through right now. When you come to the house of God, you need to get connected with that past of God. That God has shown Himself over and over and over and over and over that He is able to deliver you. That He is able to get you through. He is able to bring you out. He's able to make a way. He is able to do what no, He can do what Moses couldn't do for Israel. They came to Moses crying for water. Moses, Moses can't give water. But God could. And God said, Moses, strike the rock. And there was water. So when David came to the house of God, he came not to rehearse his past, but to rehearse God's past, his past dealings, his past provision, his past mercies, his past power. You see, my friend, it's not your past that's important this morning. It's his. That's all that really matters today. Not what you have or have not done, but what he has done. And what he has continued to do throughout the ages for his people. What he has never failed to do for those who love him. What he has never failed to do for those who trust in him. Their failures were not the focus, but his righteousness and his remedy. That was the focus. And when David came to the house of God, he was reconnected with those things that represented God's dealing and God's power and God's provision from the past. Because in that tabernacle, in that house of worship, was a brazen altar, was an 
altar of incense was an altar of bread. In that place was a brazen laver. In that place was the candlestick. In that place was the holy of holy. In that place was the ark of God. In that place there was manna that had been brought through the wilderness and had been preserved until that day to continually remind Israel that it doesn't matter what your situation in life is. I know how to provide for you when there is no other way to make it. I know how to help you get through what you're going through. There was a rod that was in that tabernacle that had budded in the presence of Pharaoh to prove to Pharaoh who the one true God was. And it was there in that house that David associated himself with those things again. And when he did, his faith was lifted. His mind was lifted. His attitude was altered. His spirit was encouraged. When he came into the house of God and he began to realize what God has already brought me through and what God has taken me through to this point. Oh, no wonder David said, as for me, I will go into thy house. Folks, this story is not about us. It's about him anyway. All of us are beset with hardships and all of us have seasons when the skies are dark. Things don't look too good. In such times, it's very hard to see God. Those times the light seems to be quenched in our soul. Hours when there seems to be no justice. No justice. Hours when the slanderer's tongue is wagging every day. Moments when treachery is busy in the trenches. And hatred is malignant and vicious. Moments when it seems there is no way. No way. And times when you feel like that God has forgotten where you are. But David said, if I can just get to the house of God, I'm not only going to find fellowship, but there's something there to remind me of where God has brought us. Where God has taken us, the ways of God. And it was there that he could remember that the ways of God are not the ways of man. Man's way would have been out of Egypt, straight across into the promised land. Very short distance, very short distance. What did God do? He took them on this 40 year journey. Winding and winding and round and round and winding. And You say, God, what in the world are you doing in my life? I'm trying to get you to the promise is what I'm trying to get you to. But i got to work some things out of you in the process. And so i got to take you this way. You know why I'm not where I need to be right now? It's not because the devil has blocked me. It's because God's trying to work some things out. When it's time, I'm going to be there. When it's time, God's going to bring me into that place. I don't have to fight for that this morning. I don't have to come in here and fight God and say, God, I'm going to make you do this. I can confidently trust God and rest in the hand of God that He knows where I am right now. I'm not lost to Him or to myself. And I don't understand this way. I don't know why we've taken this detour. I don't know why we keep going around this same mountain. 
But it's obvious that there's something that I'm doing here that's God trying to work out of me. And if you go back and read the hand of God on Israel, everything God did in those 40 years was to prepare them for that one moment when they stood at the Jordan and they could have the confidence to go across into that land where there were armies that were well armed. They didn't even have a slingshot in there. They didn't have any weapons to fight with. They didn't didn't have any arsenal. They weren't a band of, of, of military men. They were millions of people that were just wanderers and vagrants in the wilderness. But God did all of that so that when they got there, that they would trust what God was going to lead them to do when He walked them through that Jordan River. And then He walked them up to the walls of Jericho. And He said, you're not going to draw a sword. You're not going to do anything but walk around these walls seven days. And on the seventh day, you're going to shout unto the Lord, and I'm going to make those walls fall down. Now, you tell me any military mind that would accept such foolishness of that. But if you've been 40 years in the wilderness, and you've seen God provide for you every day, you've seen manna every morning and water when you needed it, and then you look at your clothes, and not in 40 years have your clothes worn out. We think we gotta have a change of clothes every other week. I don't know, well, we gotta buy a change of clothes every other week. But they're looking at clothes that hadn't worn out, shoes hadn't, sandals hadn't worn out. Now, how many of you have anything that's 40 years old that's not wore out? I know you got a 40 year old body, it's wore out. And there are not any 40 years olds in here today, I don't think, not many. How can you learn to trust God if He doesn't take you through some things? How can you learn to walk with Him and believe that He has everything in control if you haven't had to go through a dark night? How can you know how God's going to work it out unless you come to the house of God? Because that's where you're going to find it. That's where it's going to be proven to you. Because you know what, folks? There are people sitting on these pews right now that are living witnesses to God working it out. You wouldn't even be here today if it wasn't for God working it out. You'd have committed suicide a long time ago because there's just too much financial pressure, too much family pressure. But because you just kept coming to the house of God. I mean, there have been times I've come in here, I felt like, you know that old punching bag that you used to get when you was a kid and you'd hit it and it'd fall over? I felt like that. I remember some, several years ago, somebody bought me one of those and put it in my office. And just every time I got really frustrated, I would just go over and whop it really hard. And you know what? It just kept coming back. And God said, you know what? You need to quit whining and start being like that toy. And it's not pleasant always when God speaks to you. (sighs) I know what it's like to have family dysfunction. I wouldn't even be your pastor today 
if my mom and dad had not kept themselves in the house of God, I would have been a product of a divorced home. I can vividly remember the day, five years of age. I don't know what was going on. All I know is mom and dad were having problems. And I probably shouldn't say this. They're dead now. But they had a lot of good years. But they were having problems at that time. And I remember my dad on the way to church pulling off the side of the road and getting out of the car and walking back down the highway away from us. And as a five-year-old boy, I stood in the back seat, tears rolling down my face saying, Daddy, come back. Daddy, come back. I don't know what was going on. I don't know what happened. I don't even know what it was about. All I know is there was enough friction in the family that my dad was ready to walk away. And somewhere down the road, God began to talk to him about his family and his wife and his kids. And he turned around and he came and he got back in the car. And you know what? He didn't do what most people would do. They'd go back home. He went straight to church from there. And I can tell you this morning, the only reason I'm standing here is because that's what my parents did every time they had problems, is they kept coming to the house of God. They kept bringing themselves back. It may not have been pretty. It may not have been just kosher. Everything may not have been functioning like it ought to. But somehow they made it up in their mind that whatever we do, we can never get away from the house of God because that's where our only hope is. And I'm telling you today, if it had not been for the house of God, I would not be here today. And many of you would not be either if there was not somebody in your life that kept bringing you to the house of God. Uh, They kept bringing you to the altar. You got so tired of it. You got so aggravated. You got so mad at times. You wanted to bite nails. And there are times that you even say things. But I'm so glad they didn't listen to one thing I said. They just kept bringing me back to the altar. They just kept bringing me back to that place where I could talk to God. And I could get reconnected with His past. Not mine. Oh God. You know what? That's the only thing you won't find in God's house is your past. Hey, listen to me. That's the only thing you won't find in this house is your past. Now, why is it that we feel like we have to hang on to all of that? When God has let it go. Hmm. Wow, some of you didn't wake up for this this morning. I don't know if you're ready for this. I I wasn't even ready for this. The only place that you're going to find the help that you need is in the house of God. I don't care what sociologists, I don't care what the modern culture says. I don't care what all the pop psychologists are saying. That church is a thing of the past and it's just formalities. It is for some people. But it's not for us. This is a place of healing. And this is a place of help. And more than anything... David found mercy in the house. Mercy. Everybody say mercy. 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 Say it again. Mercy. He said, as for me, I will go into thy house where there is a what? What did he say? Anybody remember? 
A starts with an M. Multitude of mercy. Now I don't. I'm you know I I graduated graduated. I I don't know how to count real high, but multitude that that indicates to me that there's a lot of them. More than enough. More than all of my failures will ever absorb. More than all of my mistakes will ever deplete. More than all of my bad choices can negate. There's mercy beyond all that. Oh, no wonder David wanted to go to church. No wonder he wanted to come to the house of God. Because he knew that in that house there was mercy that was great enough to cover his failures, his frustrations, his anxieties, his worries, his desires, his future. Everything about his life, all of it, there's mercy for all of that in God's house. Let's stand together. I've gone way, my Lord, I didn't realize how long I've been preaching. You'll have to forgive me. Mm-hmm. Oh God. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wish somebody would just lift your voice without any music, without any any accompaniment, without we'll do that in a moment, but without any kind of encouragement other than just what's in your heart right now. I wish you would lift your voice to me, to the Lord right now with me, and let's praise him. Come on, let it be let it be heard. Somebody needs to hear you praise the Lord. Somebody needs to hear you cry out to the Lord today. <laughs>